everybody. Real quick note from Editor Hess right up here at the front. Well, one of two things is uh, we will bring up that in, in some of the media related to this week's monster, there is a reference to a sexual assault. Uh, we do not describe it uh, thoroughly. Even in that uh, original piece of media, it's not depicted in any way. Uh, it's not on screen or anything, so it's it's really an arm's length. So uh, it's a pretty soft content warning. But if that's just not your that's uh, not your jam today, I get it. Um, and then the the second thing is um, the clips of a particular song that I'm going to play that are uh, epically righteous and by a very famous English rock and roll band later in the episode. I promise this will make sense. Um, I'm going to feature the whole song at the end of the episode. So stick around past the Benicio segment and uh, and the Muzak if you want to check out the whole badass version of the song. It is by an amazing um, kind of 21st century fascinating band uh, who is inspired by the Mega Man video games. They are known as the Proto Men. Again, that's the Proto Men. Um, I've seen them a couple of times live. They absolutely kick ass. They do um, their own original music that's inspired by the Mega Man verse in addition to uh, covers like the one they're going to hear. And um, the Proto Men, absolutely, I cannot... um, I cannot advocate for them more. They are just the most badass thing in the world. So please check out uh, their cover of the song that will totally make sense after you listen to the episode at the end of the show. Thanks. That's enough out of me. Um, Oh, and also, uh, because I just get like wild and out on this episode, it is a very chunky one. It is it is um, close to about two hours. So strap in, everybody. Welcome to Oops, All Monsters, a deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me, when I can get him to stop smashing broadswords on all these ding-dang rooftops with his jolly pirate playmates is Gavin. And this weirdo with me, ready to take Pelham 123 with me, is Hess. <laughs> am I who, who? Am I John Voight in this case? <laughs> You're, is, he, um, isn't he in that, is he in that movie? Or am I... Mark uh, Magola's. Which who? Oh, oh, is he in that? Yeah. Are you talking about the original one the from original like the seventies? Yeah. yeah, that shit rules. I love the, I love the taking of Pelham one two three, because it's like it's got like very like the conversation vibes like seventies. It's like back when like you could be a total badass and still be wearing like a raincoat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like where <laughs> most action was done in a raincoat. And nobody had a gun over like 32 caliber. Yeah, that's <laughs> in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, all the cops have 32 specials and all the bad guys had like grease guns for <laughs> those 9mm tanker guns. I love that original one because it's it's like how would I how do I say it? It reminds me of the conversation and it reminds me of uh, what's that what's that fucking um, why can I not why can I not think of no not the two thousand nine version get off of my dick um, nineteen seventy four it reminds me of that one 
Uh, the French Connection too. Yeah. Also, it's got a. It's got. I don't know. It's got a very friend. It feels very French connectiony. <laughs> like if Walter Matthau can be your hero and it's still like an action movie, that's just <laughs> yeah. like a very. Yeah. It's a very small slice of Venn diagram right there. It's like yeah, one, maybe one and a half a movies. Point. Are there any other Walter Matthau actions? Walter, Walter uh, like, Matthau could steal your heart in an action movie. Then it's something to be remembered. <laughs> like, get him with get him with with uh, transit bureaucracy, Walter Matthau, yeah. you son of a bitch. Two thirteen p.m. The city of New York is given one hour to come up with a million dollar ransom. You're out of your skull. No units stand by on the double. What's up, Z? A train's been hijacked. Millions have read it. Now you can live it. That is how he oh, beats them. That's a good them. one. Tra- transit bureaucracy. Yeah. He knew, yeah. he knew oh, they got, were going to get off the train. It's got, yeah, it's got Hector Elizondo, too, who throws back to Leviathan. Yeah. Uh, actually. Oh, that's who I meant, um, not Mark Magolis. Yeah, you... Yeah. Hector... Hector Elizondo, who is in uh, everything, who's played 200 concierges. <laughs> I can't go down this this Wikipedia hole right now. i got to record a show. You may have heard of it. It's called Oops, All Monsters. That's right. I'm in. And yeah, oh, that's, okay. that's like the most bullshit in that section of the script we've done before. But anyway, <laughs> we'll see if any of that makes it. We're here to, as we always are, delighted edify... You, with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming, both from the box and from the console and beyond. So I, um, this is a week where I had told myself I needed to do, like, um, pull from either mythology or cryptozoology, because I've been, I've just been, like, riding the pop culture and cinema, um, like lane too hard, but uh, I, I just had some things come up that distracted me, and I needed the I needed the hot juice. I needed I needed that that the hot grapes of um of the of the sexy rock and roll pop culture to uh, to get me into a subject. So I picked a I picked a bold one this time. Um, before I. I, I don't think I've given it away with, through any of my ramblings yet, have I? Do you know what I'm doing yet, Kevin? Nope. Through any of the random shit I've been saying? Okay, no. good. I just just want to just want to keep the audience uh, understanding that the gambit is true. We genuinely do not coordinate these ahead of time. Yeah, so you, I don't you know. know what like it's this really this is truly a surprise. That's okay, so um, uh, last week's topic. There's actually a connection, but it's a it's a weird backdoor connection. Last week's topic, not last week's topic, my previous topic uh, in, in Trapjaw, um, Trapjaw originates um, essentially in the Ian Fleming 007 universe. We covered that in the Trapjaw episode, if you haven't checked it out. Uh, I think it was a pretty entertaining one. It's a good and, one. Um, and there's, stra- there's oddly a weird way that we get uh, to that as well. Um, in the middle of the 1970s... Um, <clears throat> a uh, a popular guy. What's his What's his real name? Uh, that 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 naked guy at the end of Dune with the uh, with the with the dagger. Sting's Sting. real name is like Flor- Florbus. Bl- I know oh. Sting, but like his real name is oh, Sting's right. real name is like Florbus Blorbus. It's like Gordon <laughs> Shumway. Gordon yeah. Sumner is his real name. So Sting was doing whatever Sting's doing in like 1984. 
uh, and like bouncing between like L.A. or London or whatever the fuck. I didn't look that's, into it. Don't worry about that's it. That's how you important. remember Sting, the naked guy at the end of Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What is no, there a better? Is there a better? St- is there a better Sting? <laughs> no, you. Are no, you, you're you, right. You're right. What do you? What do you think of like a guy in? <laughs> Like burlap sack sack pants playing a playing a fucking nine string guitar in the middle of a field or what? I don't know. <laughs> Any, but I remember staying with like his hair gelled up like like all fucking covered in oil, wearing what looks like a hood ornament over his dick and balls, like trying to trying to stab the guy from Blue Velvet. That's what I remember. Okay, yeah, um, you're right. You're right. I mean, if somebody is a Harkonnen, you remember the Harkonnen. That's just just a policy that I have uh, just as a person. Um, <laughs> also, it may or may not be Harkonnen. You know, listening to the uh, last podcast on the left, the, their Dune cast, they say Harkonnen. I'm like, eh. That might know. very well saying, be a joke. I've been saying Harkonnen too long, but that's yeah, probably we've right. we've all been saying Harkonnen too long. <laughs> I will kill him! But uh, and then some, back to the 1980s, um, there's some there's some like f- <clears throat> fairly low budget filmmakers that are struggling. They've decided they bought this really cheap script from like a film student, like fresh out of Los Angeles, so fresh that the script that they bought was his like senior project was this script. And it's a, it's a little wild. It's a little sci-fi. It's a little sci. It's a, it's a little fantasy ish. Um, it's a little, it's got some traveling through time and they're having trouble, like, things are coming together. Strangely, they've gotten a really big star attached to it for not the role that they threw to him. Um, this is a guy that's getting a little bit older, and they threw to him, like, the baddie role, and he's like, no, but I'll play the cool older dude who tells the young Padawan learner um, how to how to handle his shit. They're like, oh, shit, we can get some actual money to make this if you're actually seriously in that. He's, he's like, yeah, it totally is. I know it's infuriating that I haven't named him yet, but this is otherwise it's a you, it's a total gimme. But so they're, <laughs> this, the movie's actually coming together because now based on this star, huge, huge, huge star, by the way, they are able to secure a bunch of money in their shit. OK, well, they're they're going out to all sorts of interesting people for the bad guy. And they go to Schwarzenegger. Your luggage. Scott Glenn, you know, when you think Schwarzenegger, your second pick is Scott Glenn. And they go to Roy, they go to Roy Scheider. None of them, none of them are going to be able to do this character. Um, but Sting has just done a movie that hardly anybody sees. Uh, directed by an Australian video music music video producer, an Australian music video producer called uh, Russell Mulcahy, um, who is hot off of making a movie called Razorback from 1984, which is described as Jaws in the Outback, but with a uh, with a like tusked boar. <laughs> okay. God has created it, and L has given it a name. So uh, maybe some reasons you've never seen a Razorback, but don't worry about that. Not important. And yeah. Sting, um, you know uh, how Sting sounds. He goes, 
I come dog know this great big American bloke from Ohio. He stands about six foot five. He'd be probably good for it. That's how Sting sounds, right? I'm just, I'm just assuming. <laughs> and uh, and this director Russell was like, "All right, cool. Well, we'll go to him." And they they send a they send a script, uh, early script to this dude, this big guy from Ohio. Guy from Ohio looks at it and he goes. Uh, looks interesting. Uh, how much do I get paid? And they're like, you don't get paid. And he's like, shit. Um, <laughs> but I'm in the movie a lot, right? And they're like, you're in the movie a lot. And we're like, yeah, and um, how much controller do I, do I have over this character? And he's like, uh, all of it, I think. And he's like, okay, cool. Let's film this fucker. So they, uh, they, they coalesce in Scotland... Uh, in order to film a a film about time traveling immortals with swords, good lord, who battle each other throughout <laughs> time, and <laughs> definitely completely make sense. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about yes, now, Gavin? I, I certainly do. You're talking about the Highlander. <laughs> And the the scary monster man in the Highlander would be the Kurgan. Now you die. (laughs) The Kurgan portrayed by Clancy Clancy Brown. Brown. Clancy Brown, um, um, well-renowned actor and voiceover actor uh, in cartoons and beyond. Um, For all sorts of things, you would know him from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, he is a voice actor in SpongeBob. I, I'm bad at keeping SpongeBob related facts in my head. He's Mr. Krabs. Profits down three dollars from last month. I gotta start running a tighter ship around here. Mr. Krabs. He's the Mr. Krabs voice. Um, and uh, even as early as this movie, this is like his second movie. He was in The Bride, which Sting was involved in with. This is why Sting knew to reference this like six foot four Ohio dude um, who has like a cinder block, cinder block for a head and uh, shoulders like the Berlin Wall. Um, and luckily he's got the he's you know, he's got this deep, sonorous, powerful voice is one of the other reasons that he gets cast in lots of things, particularly the voiceover stuff, duh. But what the fuck is Highlander? Highlander is a, uh, it is a 1985 motion picture, uh, released primarily in the United States that, um, actually did not do very well at the time. Um, it was, it, it kind of flopped. It only made 13 million back on a budget of 19 million. Who is the Kurgan, and what the fuck is Highlander? Highlander is a little confusing. What, yeah. Gavin, how do you, how would you describe Highlander in one sentence? Um, Highlander is the story of, okay, well, we'll, we'll ignore Sean Connery's confusing-ass character. <laughs> it's a good start. Because that could be the sentence where a... Scottish Spanish samurai comes to Scotland saying he's a Spaniard talking like a Scotsman 
Which confused me as a kid because I thought you were <laughs> supposed to know that they're all Scotsmen, even the Kurgan. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, they're yeah, all Scot. Right, right. They're all Highlanders. You call them Highlanders, and like, I it took me a while to realize that Sean Connery keeps saying that he's Spanish, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's I was not only a Spanish, he's by Spanish, the time I realized he's Spanish Egyptian. <laughs> yeah, Spanish like originally Egyptian, Egyptian. That's right. Yeah, and that's, then lives in Spain for a I long forgot, time. I forgot. I forgot one of the most because he's like because he's like hundreds because he's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yeah. Um, but anyway, go ahead. So Sorry. that guy um, finds a young Scotsman who is born with the gift of being immortal and prepares him for his forever life. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you've got you got some you got way more of the most crucial information that I would have if you just like threw me into a, a ele- elevator and said, "Tell me about Highlander." Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, to like just straight up punch the ticket, uh, Highlander is a 1986 British fantasy action adventure film by Russell McCahey as director and based on a story by Gregory Wyden, the aforementioned. Um, film student from Los Angeles. It stars Christopher Lambert, who plays Connor McLeod, the main sword-wielding dude. We'll we'll get to more. Uh, Roxanne Hart, Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, and Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Um, I think I I did that one as Merman, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery. Uh, The film chronicles the climax of an ages-old war between immortal warriors, try saying that ten times, depicted through interwoven past and present day uh, storylines. So um, there is a lot of Highlander media. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you have zero Highlander in your life, just only watch this one movie and don't watch anything else. At all. Um, yeah, that's a If good you're suggestion. like, I'm going to become a Highlander. If you like listen to this episode and you're like, man, that sounds cool. Don't you, you watch Highlander one. You're like, that was strange, but I could do with more of it. Don't just stop. Just go get another hobby after that. It is not yeah. it's not worth it past the one movie. But the one movie has a. Um, a very rare and bizarre mix of like intense 80s. Uh, kind of nonsense and kind of magic. Uh, huh, I just made a made a, uh, made an inside joke there in reference to the Queen song. But anyway, um, things that the Highlander has. One, it's got a really random cast. Uh, it really yeah, only comes together because Sean Connery says, "Yeah, I got a weird movie. I'll do that." And at this point, Sean Connery had been on the downslope from having not been. Uh, 007 for a long, long time and had not really made the over-the-hump transition into playing more fatherly, aristocratic characters as opposed to being, like, the hotshot girl-getting-like-gun-smoke-hero kind of dude for, uh, that is 007. So this movie was really kind of like his major transition into, one, not being the uh, the primary character, and two, playing specifically an older guy and somebody that's more in the like Obi Wan role, as opposed to the like the badass dude with the sword who's the 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 uh, the focus of everything. And the movie starts out um, in media res, and this the start this the beginning of the movie is actually pretty strong. It starts for some reason at a televised. 
um, professional wrestling bout between yeah. like, real wrestlers at a, at a real event in New York City. But our main character is just some... Ran, appears to be just some random dude in a tan trench coat who is like scanning the crowd and sees another random white dude. And then when that guy like gets up and walks out, goes downstairs into the garage and they get into a bizarre epic sword fight battle. It's like two very upset white white dudes that don't talk and are going to kill each other with swords. The main guy in the tan trench coat, he's got this sweet ass katana and the other guy is wearing a suit and aviator glasses. He looks like he came off for the set of Benny Hill, but he has got a really badass, like, art- articulate kind of rapier dealy bop. Yeah. And they have this weird fight where this older white dude does a shitload of backflips, and his stunt, like, stunt double probably didn't get paid enough for in this parking garage. And then eventually, tan trench coat dude, like, decapitates him and has some kind of gigantic, uh, like, electrical storm uh, orgasm, and then gets arrested for... Uh, outside of the event for murder. And you're like, yeah, because you just totally murder the shit out of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he cut his own head off because of the shitty wrestling was <laughs> yeah. his defense. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. And that that's probably about as close as anybody is going to get to doing Christopher Lambert's accent on this show. <laughs> um, if you look into it, if you watch it, Christopher Lambert has the most confusing accent of any human being ever to speak English in in a in a in a movie like in a Hollywood film at all which is saying a lot yeah you talk funny Nash where are you from lots of different places because he has like he has a non-accent and the reason that is because just because it came up now is Christopher Lambert was born in New York City but immediately uh, shuffled to France, where he lived most of his life. His father was a Jewish-French diplomat. So <laughs> he only learned English for this movie. Like, he had been in one or two movies before, but it, the main one that got any attention was called Tarzan, where he played a Tarzan character who had, like, two lines. So dude didn't speak, like, any English at all <laughs> when he signed the contract for this movie, and then the people that made this movie, once they got the contract signed, found out he didn't speak English and we're like ah shit that was we should maybe should have asked if he spoke English yeah. um, and so the resulting uh, the resulting accent that Lambert has in the movie is kind of he worked with dialect coaches for like the whole thing to kind of just have a weird generic gray race kind of like <laughs> non-specific European bullshit accent which is exactly what he man? has like, it's not French, it's not Belgian, it's not German, it's not anything you'll ever hear any other human being on the face of the earth sound like. It is just a a mix of Hollywood dialect coaches and whatever was, like, trapped in Christopher Lambert's face that day. Yeah. I've been alive for four and a half centuries, and I cannot die. Getting on to it, they subsequently make this wild-ass fantasy sci-fi time travel adventure that chronicles the the heroic adventures of Connor McCloud of Clan McCloud played by Christopher Lambert who is again not Scottish yeah. um, from yeah. the 1500s through present quote unquote present day in 1985 at this point it's uh, I want to mention at this point it's narratively time traveling it's not they don't actually mm-hmm. time travel in the story yet. Right. 
Um, and and also the description of the Kurgan and the reality of the Highlanderverse, for the most part, for our conversation, is going to be confined to the reality of Highlander uh, Prime. Yeah. Um, we're going to look at possible um, filling in things related specifically to the Kurgan from other media. But if you start opening up the what has anybody ever written about Highlander it, it box, it like really yeah. blows up in your room really fast and you, you get a, you got to call mom very quickly. So for the most part, we're going to stick primarily to the first film and things that are directly attached to the first film. But ultimately, it it, it, it is this story of this Scottish dude who uh, it goes into a battle because, you know, he's Scottish in the 1500s. So there's a battle. And for some reason, there's this one terrifying guy on the <laughs> battlefield that specifically wants to kill him and has ordered nobody else on the on their side to kill Christopher Lambert. And he's wearing, I would describe it as an oddly compelling fantasy costume of like saber tooth bones and just like really like black metal nightmare armor and riding a big black horse and just looking like a real motherfucker. Yeah. Don't ever speak to me again. Do you understand? He's got this super badass kind of like ethnically who the fuck knows um, terrifying kind of D&D Death Knight costume. Yeah. Which in the movie is like, I, I found it to be pretty fucking scary. Like the, so far the movie, it, it, it feels like it's got fantasy elements, but it's kind of grounded enough. You're like, oh shit, who's that guy? Yeah. And um, yeah, because you've been looking at Scotsmen for the past 20 minutes who look like really accurate and pleasant, actually. Yeah. And then this yeah, guy's like shows horse, up. horse, 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 and then f- suddenly there's a fucking zebra with like a horn and it's on fire. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> yeah. And I thought we were just I thought it was a horse movie. And but like he <laughs> he he blasts through everybody and um, stabs the sh- like what do you think kills the shit out of like uh, Highlander Christopher Lambert and but uh, the other guys pull him off after he stabs him like through the heart. And um, eventually he gets banished because he, like, comes back to life, which I, th- I think if you lived in the 1500s, you just, like, kind of roll with the punches and be like, it was a miracle. But no, they say he's associated with the devil. He's a witch. Who yeah. knows? And so they, like, banish him. So he lives for the next five years in isolation and even the more rural BFE highlands of, uh, of um, yeah. Scotland <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a cute lady. And then just, like, he's living this great bucolic, like, frolicking life with this cute blonde Scots girl. And then rides in on his, his fancy uh, fancy Spanish horse is, is Sean Connery as, as, as forename guy. Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Yes. Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. So the actual Scotsman plays Ramirez, who is a fancy pe- peacock uh, adorned hat 
wearing Spaniard who's originally ethnically Egyptian, I guess? Yes. Um, so <laughs> he's actually got a Scottish accent doing what I can tell is apparently 0% effort to have either an Egyptian or Spanish accent. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to drop it into the show. There's a point where he calls Lambert a, like a bendejo. Yeah. And it's and it's like hearing him do it say like, Pendejo. Yeah. It's just like the funniest, it's like the funniest shit in the world. <laughs> now, Pendejo, shall we see what sort of swordsman you've become? On God. It's really killer. It's a hoot. But, um, <laughs> so, show Cordery as... Uh, Ash Ramirez, he he um, says like, "Hey, I know you were having a good time, but I'm I gotta really fuck it up here." Uh, turns you're uh, sorry, but you're like an immortal, and that dude who tried to kill you that one time, he was an, uh, also an immortal, and you can't just like hang out here being happy forever. Uh, that wouldn't be a movie. So you gotta, I got, we gotta do like a montage and a half of weird shit where you learn about being an immortal and and don't die. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. <laughs> and uh, then you're going to get to go into the rest of the movie. And he's like, mm, mm, in his weird Christopher Lambert, I don't know, that seems like a bad idea, buddy. Uh, I don't know anybody from Spain. You got a weird hat. Why is your accent even more confusing than mine? Yeah. That's how Christopher Lambert talks. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. And so eventually they, they, he gives in and they have like a kind of rocky 80s movie training sequence where like he's like go, he's like riding his horse on the beach and Lambert's chasing after him. And there's some bullshit with a, with a giant stag with antlers glued on its head. Literally, that's actually factually how they did it. Um, we're supposed to sense the stag being there, and eventually you learn some of this like meta information about these immortals. Ramirez is an immortal. McLeod's an immortal. This guy, the Kurgan, is an immortal. And there's and uh, basically you can't die, you can't get sick. You you can only die by way of being decapitated. Inconceivable. You've got a special like spidey sense for other immortals being around. That ends up mattering. Uh, you cannot ha father children, which uh, definitely in this movie is not important whether you're a lady, because don't worry, ladies, not that important to this movie. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, let's get into that later, but too, uh, you don't age. That's actually complicated because it's confusing why a bunch of these immortals are like obviously in their 60s, but. Never, don't worry about it. And you won't die, you won't get sick unless somebody does one of these aforementioned decapitations. So that's all cool, I guess. Um, but Ramirez is like, nah, it's gonna kind of suck because you, you know you gotta drop your lady. Um, you've gotta you've gotta drop Heather because she's gonna die all like sad ass vampire style, and you're gonna live for centuries longer. And if you don't drop that shit now, it's gonna be a mega bummer. And um, he's like, nah, I can't do it. So apparently he like lived, he, you know, he goes through the decades after that until <clears throat> until Heather dies. And it's like, yep. And it turns out it really is a bummer. Like this movie is is in addition to being like a sword clashing rock and roll electric kind of mayhem film about dudes smashing their swords on rooftops. It's also 
about how much of a bummer it is to be romantically involved with Christopher Lambert, the immortal. <laughs> I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. How marvelous. The romantic elements are actually not that bad, um, and it actually does not feel like two separate movies. Like, for example, when we talk about the Larry Cohen movies like Cue the Winged Serpent or... Um, the stuff or some other example that kind of feels like two movies that have only just been hitched together in the middle with a little bit of hardware. This isn't that like, um, it is more cogent of a film Highlander. It it, it has some significant plot holes and it it can be a little wonky. And it was in certain ways, actually very revolutionary using a, uh, a director in Russell Mulcahy who was primarily out of music videos. So we, if you watch it now, it, steam, it seems very dated, but a lot of the shit that they did with the fast cutting and the pacing scenes to music and some of the camera techniques, even as kind of like oafish as they are, are actually pretty revolutionary and uh, intense for the time period. He got a lot of flack from Ebert about, like, it will give you a migraine watching a movie, yada, 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 because I'm an old man from Chicago in the 20s. And, but, like, now you would never, like, it is, it, it seems, if anything, kind of slow compared for the, the 2021 brain, given how much more ADD, ADHD we've gotten yeah. in our consumption of media. It, it's kind of at, at a normal pace where you go back to Pelham 123 in the 70s, you're like, Jesus Christ, just go to the crime scene and kill somebody before I get a heroin habit waiting for you to do the next thing. Like, it, it, it is kind of a movie that has finally gotten to, quote-unquote, the modern pace, if that is like a plateau that we've reached. But um, some of the main strengths and weaknesses being that none of the characters' fucking accents make any goddamn sense. Yeah. That's probably one of the main things at the beginning, which is why you <laughs> brought it up. Now, pendejo. Ultimately, the the film ends up being a good versus evil clash between Connor McLeod, Christopher Lambert, and Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, K-U-R-G-A-N. And the Kurgan refers to, if you go into the mystery of it, they were an ancient tribe on the Russian steppes. He was orphaned because of some some business, and this isn't in the original movie, but you have to go into the graphic novel and novelizations, and yeah. yada, yada, yada. Where he was orphaned because of wars, and he had an awful family and a drunken father, and blah, blah, blah. And he gets pulled in by this tribe of um, kind of like wild Russian maniac warriors, and then he as a he like kills his father with a searing hot coal or whatever. Again, non-canon for the first movie, and then spends his the rest of the, the next number of centuries just kind of being the worst version of the Universal Soldier in in these non-canonical graphic novel and novelization versions. He fights uh, with the Visigoths and the other Goths to take down Rome. He fights with Attila, the Hun, and the Huns to kill everybody. He's like, anywhere, where anything where you can really kill the shit out of people and, like, um, rape and pillage, he's there. Yeah. Wherever there is injustice, you will find us. Wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. He's, do- he's participating in all of the most like historical miseries of human military experiences, um, which, but which is really kind of created up, created after the fact by the novelizations and the other, the larger Highlander verse to explain this terrifying guy. It's played by Clancy Brown, who is just a guy from Ohio 
playing this kind of big nightmarish kind of I don't know what the Visigoths actually look like, but it's got this very 80s, 90s sense of like, you know, G- Germanic invader, invader, black wearing, maniacal, medieval douchebag guys, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the feel of it. Um, and and Clancy Brown, he's uh, he's just like no spoilers here. He's awesome in it, and he really he really helps make the movie. Um, I think it would have, you know, Schwarzenegger turned it down because Schwarzenegger had just come off of Terminator. He didn't want to play another bad guy because I think he didn't want to go. He didn't want to get stuck in the bad guy closet. And and honestly, that kind of makes sense. And really, at this point, I don't know if Schwarzenegger would have had the like another guy doing not his own like native language would have had the ability to like dance inside of the movie that Kurgan does because like Kurg like Brown takes on this character in a like 11 out of 10 way I have something to say it's better to burn out than to fade away does he I can't remember if he shaves his head or he shows up with his head shaved I think he shaves his head yeah he shaves his head kind of mid movie and unlike every other like um any other 80s movie with a head shaving, it's not like a chick who's yeah. finally had enough. Yeah. It's just like, he just decides to do it. Yeah. Nice to see you, Kurgan. Who cuts your hair? I am in disguise. This way, no one will recognize me. I do. What do you want? Your head. And the prize. Um, so so uh, Clancy Brown, according to reports, had originally wanted the Kurgan to wear like a, a black suit and bowler hat. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, when he is, is depicted in the 20th century, um, he's got originally this big flowing mane of like raven black hair against his deathly pale skin. Yeah. Um, but he's, wear- he's wearing this... I would call it Chicago, New York, East Coast, American version of kind of like post-Sex Pistols, death punk, all black, yeah. safety pins, sl- sleeve ripped yeah. off, it mixed with chains and the bullshit. The height of 1985 punk rock. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> there are, I, I, it's, it, I'm hard pressed to think of a, a, like an '80s or even a '90s villain, really any villain that is as like masculine punk rock stereotype yeah. imagery, like shoved <laughs> into one character visually. There they are! There they are! There they are! Honestly, whenever anything explodes in this house, it's always blame Vivian. Well, who do you suggest we blame? He's got kind of like you know like made up heroin eyes and yeah. and sad sad like pale Manchester white skin and so he looks like you know kind of like a big uh, big heavy Eastern European maniac with you know questionable teeth and um, a terrifying presence in e- everything he's wearing is either black 
or chains or a piece of metal random bullshit attached to him. He wears like uh, one of his. Sl- he wears Ramirez's earring on his punk jacket. Correct. As a trinket. And you don't. Even, we would, you wouldn't even notice. The production team did a good job yeah. getting that on there. You know the the pe- the peacocking Sean Connery as Ramirez has all of this business on him, including earrings. He is in a lot of ways the anti Kurgan. He's 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 a more of a Southern European aristocratic version of this masculinity where he wears a fancy curled hat and he's covered in crimson <laughs> and literally has peacock feathers on and earrings. Yeah, he literally has peacock feathers. <laughs> Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Douglas Rassensberger, and I'm the CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack, and suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded naval sword, that's what. Here at Douglas and Colors, we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a colors for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a colors for that. Looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a colors for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle-quality 27-inch half-guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling. No matter what's your problem, an easy-to-wield iron-forged cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Raffersberger of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabby with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. So the, the Kurgan is introduced... Uh, into New York City, and you don't really have to have like an explanation of how you got to New York City or whatever, but the story tells uh, that uh, throughout the movie that what's going to happen is called The Gathering, and it's the reason that all of these sword-fighting immortals are suddenly showing up in New York City where McCloud has been living as an arts, uh, uh, white shoes wearing um, like arts dealer. Like he sells like artifacts, he sells swords and armor and shit because blah blah blah. Um, but all these guys are showing up, and the gathering is the the thing that's been foretold for generations and generations, where all of the immortals are finally going to chop off enough heads that there's going to be only one. <laughs> there can be only one. There can be only one. Whenever they kill one kill one another, this thing called the quickening happens, which is like um, a big MTV special effects orgasm where the wind blows and the lights go crazy and you're just like like Star Trek vibrating for like a minute and all of this like uh, Hollywood lightning shoots you and you you are supposed to gain all of the knowledge and power of the immortal that you just vanquished and And not just that but every immortal that they vanquish 
Right. It's kind of a it's a pyramid scheme yeah. of <laughs> of decap is of decapitations. Right. So the point is that there can be only one. Is the you know the eye at the pyramid, the keystone at the top, is going to gain this total absolute supremacist control over all of the immortal knowledge and power that has been falling into smaller and smaller uh, categories of people over centuries and millennia. So finally, the, you know, this guy kills that guy, that guy kills this guy. The, the, the Kurgan, Clancy Brown as the Kurgan kills a few people. He kills, um, he kills Ramirez at like the end of act one which is a big deal because Clancy Brown is apparently the only the second person to ever kill Sean Connery on screen uh, in this um, in this sword fight between Ramirez with the katana and Clancy Brown with his weird, wild, nonsensical broadsword, um, where in the course of it, they'd knock down this whole Scottish keep like building. Yeah. And he, he kills Ramirez and there's lots of lightning. It's dramatic. They kind of fight like assholes. Their fighting doesn't make any sense. Like, like the Kurgan both mostly, mostly smashes things open. Like, I think it's also kind of implied in the movie that they have magic, but it's never defied or no set of rules is ever explained. It's just kind of yeah, like it's, it's insinuated it's, by all the sudden smashing and like, yeah, it's very much words. left there. There are, there are, there are magical effects that are created at different times. The Kurgan de- definitely demonstrates, particularly in that scene, superhuman strength where yeah. his sword is able to knock down centuries-old sections of, of stone from this building. Um, they also survive. Of, of course, the surviving things, that's obvious because they're immortal. So they fall two stories no, and immediately get up and start sword fighting again. They can't be drowned, as demonstrated during the uh, Obi-Wan kind of sequence. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, they're not, they're, not, they're not like slinging spell. They're not like slinging spells or conjuring or anything, but there is kind of a, you know, an implied like, oh, I didn't know you could do that, of not keeping it totally in a, to a tight canon. Um, it, it's, not, it's not random, but it is squishy. I'll say it that way. Yeah. And um, so Kurgan kills uh, Ramirez and um, Heather, the original... Uh, love interest, Scott, Bonnie Scott, uh, girlfriend, wife, she ends up being collateral damage to a certain extent where Ramirez does the smart gambit of telling the Kurgan that it was actually, the woman is his so that he doesn't use her as bait to trap Connor McLeod because Connor McLeod has to survive the centuries to defeat the, the Kurgan later on. So, um, uh, I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to have a content warning in here, but the Kurgan, they don't depict any of it at all, really, other than the creepy approach to it, is the Kurgan does a does a uh, sexual assault on the um, the Scottish lady there, and then they cut to way later. It's not depicted in the movie, really. Yeah. Uh, and But it's definitely to establish that he's a bad dude, so we really know what kind of bad dude he is, and that ends up being consistent with the Kurgan. He's not, uh, unfortunately... Um, you you can't really get with like um, you know really loving the character because he's really that awful. You know, I kind of think if you took out if you took out 
the sexual assault part of the Kurgan, you could kind of get behind him because they're in ways in which he's the most satisfying character in the movie. Yeah. Um, because like he's having a really good time. Yeah. Like Sean Mc- <laughs> Sean Sean Connery is having an awesome time as his character, and then right up until the end. Yeah. And so and so is Clancy Brown. Everybody else kind of like wrapped up in in a in a mystery. As I was developing this idea, I was kind of going down the road that. Connor McLeod represents like antiquity virtues, you know, a like moderation and humility and, and beauty and, and all the good things that the Greeks were into and the Kurgan represented vice. But honestly, the Kurgan, he doesn't like, he doesn't do everything. He's not, he's not getting bl- blind stinking drunk. Yeah. He's, uh, he does have a uh, sex worker named Candy over to you his apartment as he's are. preparing. Yeah, uh, uh, you you almost nailed it. Is she <laughs> the scene is just the this uh, this English actress comes in and she says and she, she's like she's literally a page three model from uh, from the English papers, and she she says hi I'm Candy and he goes of course you are yeah <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> but that's actually a nod to Sean Connery and 007 because it's a reference to a to a classic 007 line. But anyway, um, the, the, he does all of these things, but he doesn't like the the slimy punk rock like motel owner downstairs like realizes that he has a bunch of money and he says, "You need anything, man? Like girls or blow? Just you know, dial zero. Yeah. And apparently he does order a girl, but he never orders any blow. Yeah. Now, he's not like yeah. he's not like He's not like evil Superman at the end of Superman three because I'm not sure. <laughs> so, I, I, but where he goes turns into like evil drunk Superman and starts flicking peanuts like into the into the like Quavassier bottles and screaming at little kids. You know what I mean? It's not that he's not like he's not like a barbarian on a bender, which is kind of how I remembered it. What are you looking at? Is he's kind of a gleeful maniac who only likes like a couple things. He's he's kind of like a he's he's really kind of a to a certain extent a sadist or a psychopath or power hungry. But he's not really into manipulating people. He's just kind of he just wants to kill and and, and finally claim the prize. Yeah, which is the, the he doesn't the, he doesn't even really want to kill indiscriminately like mortals. He only wants to kill immortals, and that's that's his yeah, biggest the, like that, thing. That's, that's absolutely that's it's true because you kind of think of him running amok in New York City, but, but he the people that he yeah. kills, are, it's just <laughs> immortals and people who get in his way when yeah. he's trying to kill immortals. So oddly. The Kurgan is strangely hyper-focused at claiming the prize, which is the MacGuffin magical super, like... Super quickening. uh, Combination, uh, yeah, the super quickening of finally when there is only one. There can be only one. Then, you know, the the prize is, and in the um, Highlander-verse, you know, they don't really... They don't actually define it properly in the movie. No. <laughs> uh, but when McLeod, after he kills the, the spoiler alerts, uh, the Kurgan in the climax of the movie, 
the the prize is given to him, which is d- defined as first of all he gets pulled up into the air and all this like MTV lightning zaps him in every direction, um, and then. He's like all of the weird kind of, he says some dumb shit about, I know everything. I am everyone. I see everything. And, and he basically has this kind of like nexus event where his consciousness is connect with like connected with like all living earthlings. Yeah. And there's this kind of bucolic. (laughs) It's really like, um, yeah, like blade, like blade runner, theatrical cut bullshit explanation where now through his psychic connection to the world, he can, influence like human destiny and also now his like sperm shoots people out of it and he can die and age so he's achieved somehow like uh like being supremacy in being able to like affect world events and make the world better but also simultaneously be like a regular dude again so he doesn't have to vampire sad watch his his new like, um, like waifu die over the generations. So, like, it, it's it's weird. But, like, back to the Kurgan. The Kurgan just like goes around, um, l- like driving big seventies yeah. sedans, running people over, killing immortals, terrifying bystanders, and cackling in everybody's face. Yeah, he kills, like he, he kills he, another immortal in a destroyed, deleted scene. Like uh yeah there's a there's a there's a deleted scene where uh well it it was destroyed and deleted I, like it, it got burned up in a fire yeah. you know like a studio fire so even if they had wanted it to be in there they couldn't and it didn't get to ever be in a like a DVD like commentary or anything or like a, like an extra there are stills from it that you can look up or if you look up Kurgan defeats Kim deleted scene yeah um it's interesting because I, I it would have been really fun to watch because it's in a, a it's in a different environment they're in kind of like an office building and he's the like actual Asian character at, that is fighting in a like a Japanese two sword style as opposed to everybody else yeah and. Also, you know, it would have been nice to have an actual, like, you know, higher up in the credits Asian character as opposed to all this random, like, kind of Japanese-y bullshit cultural shit they put in the movie. (laughs) Where there's a lot of Asian stuff in the movie. But the Kurgan kills him. He kills uh, Castagir, who has, like, has been a centuries-long friend of McLeod, um, who's, like, the the African-American fighter who... Um, a couple of scenes later is suddenly battling Kurgan in this like New York alleyway when um, oddly this like yeah. gung-ho anti-Russia like fingerless gloves village vigilante douchebag yeah. shows up with an Uzi like an, an 80s urban prepper <laughs> yeah he's like he looks he, he feels like 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 if the mood inside of a 1987 like arcade came to life, yeah. like he he looks really ready to save President Ronnie. Yeah, he's got his fingerless <laughs> gloves. He's got like a shirt that says like "Suck this Russia" or whatever. It's like yeah. "Up yours Moscow." Up yours Moscow. I think is what it is. Um, and and you know it's in olive drab green, and he's an ex marine character, and he goes in with seriously like a huge fucking Uzi, and he's like and he's like anxious about it, and he sees Kurgan just like kill the fuck out of um, 
Castigear, yeah. and he's like, okay, well, I guess that's the bad guy. And so, I mean, at least he's not a total MAGA douchebag who just shoots the black guy in the in the situation on sight. Yeah. <laughs> but then after 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 he kills Castigear, um, Marine dude like lays what's got to be a, a Hollywood clip and a half of this Uzi into the into the Kurgan who's like, huh, how about that? And then um, totally gets shish kebobbed by the Kurgan's giant broadsword and literally like thrown. Uh, thrown up against a wall, and then the, the the Kurgan gets the fuck out of there because the scene gets too hectic. I think they wanted to show that the Kurgan was able to take like half a clip uh, of an Uzi, like and show an actual Uzi doing it, and then have the Kurgan retaliate to somebody who nobody would be sympathetic towards. Like, <laughs> yeah i I think I think it is perhaps optimistic to give them too much credit about triangulating all of those ideas. <laughs> I mean, like, like th this movie ultimately had three screenwriters and it's not like, it's not a screenwriting salad where the pieces really just don't come together at all, yeah. but it's certainly a combination of different voices because I have no doubt that, um, Gregory Wyden's original script, because dude was fucking eighteen when he wrote the original script. <laughs> so there, get and and for good or bad, and in my in my in my interpretation, actually, a lot of the good DNA in Highlander comes from that, and also a lot of the bad DNA. Like the the ultimate push of the long term success of Highlander is because it comes from an 18-year-old from Southern California in America. Because ultimately, <laughs> it's like, you know what would kick ass? If, like, the guy who owned this battle armor was still alive and could still use it and smash and smash. And if it, it, was, and if it was in the 80s and they, there was katanas and broadswords and bam, 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 and they were on <laughs> rooftops. I'm like, that central, like, thrust is so, like, intrinsic to the the deep down feeling of what Highlander is. Cause Highlander is not a great movie, but it is a pretty damn, it is a bitchin movie. It is. Like, a bitchin it is, movie, yeah. it is, it is fucking bitchin. It's not fantastic, but it is bitchin. Like the Kurgan is so heavy metal and so satisfying and is embodied so well by Sean Connery or Sean Connery so well. He's embodied so well by Clancy Brown, who described Mulcahy, the director, as giving him literally no direction whatsoever. So anything he, he but on the other side of that, he never told him to not do something like all of that shit. It's 100 percent Clancy Brown. So when he's like, like saying miserable stuff to the nuns in the church yeah. and going like wah, 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 with his tongue at him. Yeah. And when he gets up and confronts the priest who is trying to get him to leave, he said, he says, forgive me priest. But then he fucking like languishingly licks the priests from his finger up to the middle of his forearm. Yeah. Like, like he, he is, he is really swimming in this, like buffet of taboos because the Kurgan is so old he's pre-Christianity. Yeah. So to him the although the the holy ground of the church matters because of the traditions and needs of the immortal traditions or the immortal like like uh, society functioning, he doesn't give a fuck about the Christians and that is actually properly 
um, it's properly communicated in his disrespect for everything. He doesn't give a fly. But, but, the, but the thing is, he, he, the only thing that he cares about, oddly, are the conventions of the immortals. So if anything, he kind of has a um, psychopathy or antisocial relationship to everyone, but also a kind of immortal supremacy mindset where it's kind of like a, almost a, a, a super elitism yeah. where he's going to be the top of the top. And it is demonstrated, like you said, by his interest ex- to the exclusion of everything else in getting the prize, killing McLeod and becoming the one. Um, because it's it's interesting that he's not just this juggernaut of vice and misery everywhere he goes. He's actually oriented toward one specific goal, and the only people that he really fucks with are, other than for slight amusement, are the people that prevent him from going toward that goal. Yeah. So, so things that we can say about the Kurgan. He's like probably ethnically Russian. He's described as being seven foot tall in an exaggerated way by Brent, in an exaggerated way by Brenda, who is the second blonde love interest that's introduced to make sure that Christopher Lambert doesn't have somebody to make that he has somebody to lay down with in waterbeds for the second half of the film. <laughs> um, and uh, but other things that we can say about him is supposedly the Kurgan is kind of kinky that the sleazy, like New York dolls kind of guy that works at the, 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 the flea bag motel. He like, as the Kurgan is leaving and like, I would not make sideways comments to this motherfucker in any reality. He's terrifying. He says like, how'd you like candy? She said you were kind of kinky, huh? Don't ever speak to me. Don't ever speak to me again. Do you understand? We can assume that he's kinky, but he didn't kill the prostitute. Real-life human beings kill sex workers all the time yeah. in our regular mundane reality. He didn't he didn't kill her. The, I and and like he didn't and the the motel guy the hotel guy didn't even imply that there was, like, abuse or anything, but, you know, that's kind of... I know I'm making a, a mountain out of a molehill, but yeah. the fact that the Kurgan can be described only as being kinky, I think, is interesting. It's not nothing. Anyway, yeah. I needed that... No, that, I, that I know what there. you mean, because you're expecting him to be, like, the... Um, well, yeah, you, th- like you think... Like, Vigo, would, the, the, the... Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. You would think that it... In another movie, it would be just as easy to, you know, you could just as easy put in something. That line could easily be that she had, like, a, a shiner the next day. Yeah. Or, like, her her wrist was broken. Or she's found dead in a freaking river. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, but it doesn't go that way because it seems to be... Here's really what it is, is his interest is only oriented toward the suffering and destruction of the other immortals and his attack on heather is really actually only related to the suffering of the other yeah. immortals it is it, it is in a way totally a chauvinist and sexist because it treats her as a non-person but her 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 first of all everybody in this fucking movie treats women like non non-people including the hero mcleod because it's 
written by like an 18 year old from from Southern California. So like all of the characters treat the women kind of as props, even though one of them is a is a you know a, a metallurgist and forensic scientist. They unfortunately are not treated in the in like whole characters. This movie, spoiler alert, does not pass the Bechdel test. There are two real female characters, and they only argue with men about nonsense. Is pretty much the way I would describe it. You think I don't know the law? Wasn't it me who wrote it? I'd imagine that there would be wildly different tactics involved if your only maneuver is to be like is decapitation. Yeah, well, because, and like, this is demonstrated. This is demonstrated ad nauseum in the film. Yeah. For instance, there is a scene where Lambert um, as McLeod is doing a hilarious duel with an effete jackass yeah. <laughs> in like the uh, 1800s or the 1700s. Yeah, and he's like drunk out of his. Fucking French slash Scottish ass, and he's just like letting the guy stab him with the little the little flimsy like epee over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, sword nerds, don't at me about which swords are which. Like I don't, it's not a, it's not important. But he 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 stabs him, and then they keep doing these cuts where it's like twelve times, and finally yeah. Lambert like apologizes and just fucking walks away. Yeah, and then the then then and then the the guy gets so mad he fucking shoots his. Uh, a, his assistant with a god with a goddamn flintlock pistol. It's yeah. random and hilarious. It's, I mean, I do appreciate the true absurdity of like the some of the avenues where they explore the bizarre, alien, and absurd experience of never dying actually are <laughs> perhaps the most intelligent and and complex elements of the film. Really, like, being alienated from having uh, a, a romantic partner, being alienated from every f- feeling like anyone is your peer except for these guys that you're ultimately going to have to murder, you know, that is really where more of the film should live, and it's where a lot of the film actually succeeds in getting across ideas other than, like, MTV people smashing swords against each other, which, again is bitching as fuck. Like, uh, if you're if you're getting the impression uh, from me that I dislike this movie, even now, where I'm not 11 years old, and I'm not just kind of like, oh, man, that rules. Like, it's still bitching as hell. It's a pretty cool movie. Ultimately, it's, it's incredibly satisfying because of the juxtaposition of really interesting different things um because they use the cut the parallel cutting between the different timelines you have the scottish highlands juxtaposed with 1985 new york city you have um a weird scene where he saves a little kid from like a mustache mustache twirling nazi villain with a schmeiser submachine gun during world war ii assistant um in like the french countryside yes who later then becomes like his assistant when he becomes like an arts dealer blah 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 um you have the juxtaposition of these bizarre characters in you know of who they are out of time and out of place and the juxtaposition of them against each other. You have Castigier as a black character in Japanese garb fighting in New York City and, and it, it very much implies, well, what the fuck is that guy's thing? Like, the, you know, Highlander 2 should have been that guy's fucking prequel. Like, I, <laughs> Highlander 2 should not have been all that fucking crap where they're aliens and, like, fighting wearing drone backpacks. Yeah. You know what I mean? It should have been that. It, have, it should have been just the Sunda Castigier story. Like, that would have been a fucking Highlander well, That's movie. what the TV or, show tried to do. 
Well, yes, and the and the TV show has good aspects. I honestly, for as much TV as I watched in the '90s, and be afraid about the uh, the amount of it, it was a lot. Um, for some reason, my brain will not remember anything other than the the um, fascist use of the Queen soundtrack, <laughs> which, by the way, is like pretty good. Like the the, the Queen Queen was so inspired by their um, private screening of Highlander in an early cut that they decided to, instead of making one, like, title track for it, to turn it into a whole fucking album. Now, that entire <laughs> album has never totally been put out all as one album. Yeah. You know, It's a Kind of Magic was inspired by a line that Lambert says in the movie to the girl that becomes his assistant during that, like, Nazi-saving scene. You know, like, different... different Band members, including Freddie Mercury, were so inspired by the majesty of of Mulcahy's filmmaking. Each of them went out and wrote a different song. So you know, Princess of the Universe. It's inspired by. It's inspired by the movie. Yeah. Like the like. There's a whole album where Queen, who I, I'm a big fan of, were like, "This is the most." thing we've ever seen and you know if Freddie Mercury saw a movie and it was like that ruled I'm gonna write an album about that that just instantly earns a certain amount of credibility to me to be like okay well you know Freddie Mercury's not Foucault but he's also not wrong <laughs> you know like he's 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 not Siskel he's not Ebert but he sees something that fucking kicks ass when he knows it like he's he is able to he's able to see something that rocks and the and what what Highlander has is like Three things: one, a shitload of testosterone, and not, and some of it's kind of in a bad way, but mostly in a good way. It's you got swords, you got lightning, you got explosions, you got dudes killing each other, and also some of it in a bad way. You've got really like a, a not a great treatment of women and female characters. It is exactly kind of what it advertises to be. It is testosterone and rock and roll and interesting juxtapositions of characters and situations and visuals and music and soundtrack that you're you're just not one you're not expecting and also those juxtapositions imply a larger fantasy and science fiction world that is the reason that we have this massive litany of post original film nonsense including you know, six seasons of a TV show, an anime movie, more than one video game, novelizations, graphic novelizations. Like, people have a very intense relationship to Highlander, and they just fucking love it. It is very, for lack of a, a, a term that is not like a, an in-joke to the movie, electric and electrifying. So, like, the Kurgan is kind of the... Um, I don't know, neon lights and, and black paint on the painting that is the Highlander. He is like the heavy metal flavor. He's the punk rock flavor. He's the dark elements of the image. And he's, he's scary as hell. And he's doing the essential job of being a, a, an antagonist and a villain. He's moving the plot forward. He's being terrifying. And he's being the opposite of the main character. He is, he is bad where McCloud is good. He's irreverent. He hates everybody. He doesn't give a fuck. He's only obsessed with this one thing. Whereas, um, McCloud is doing the job of being the reluctant, 
white good guy who's moral and treats people nicely and is nice to his wives. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the Kurgan embodies all of that, all of that 1980s shit that you're not supposed to be. He's Ronald Reagan's ideas about punk rockers <laughs> distilled into one, one, one douchebag that's like 1,100 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's somehow the perfect Cold War villain. He's both a punk rocker and a Russian. Yeah. Uh, and he's 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 uh, he's here to to drink all of your Bud Light, please. Uh, he does not have a Russian accent. And Cl- Clancy does just kind of a straight up, like, no, no, no work, just blah. But, for, you know, for some, uh, but like, uh, Clancy's non-accent accent to me is like perfect. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. Like, it doesn't, I, I never doubt it, partially because the Kurgan is not really ethnically defined except in the, in the outer reaches of the universe. You know what I mean? Like, he's just kind of maybe an Eastern European, Northern European, old-timey evil guy. So, you know, he he's pre-Christianity. Of course he could come up with a version of an American accent that would pass, as opposed to yeah. um, Christopher Lambert, who, sound, who sounds like a um, voice modulation software that's got a, a fucking aneurysm. How do you fight such a savage? They made him really cool, and that might have been a disadvantage, because everything that follows the Kurgan, whenever they try to make, like, a bad guy... Um, Highlander, it kind of falls flat compared to the Kurgan. Um, even Mario Van Peebles, yeah, absolutely. And even the guy from Fine Young Cannibals, and <laughs> <laughs> the guy from Fi- the main dude, Roland Gift from Fine Young Cannibals, played an evil Highlander in the TV series, like a reoccurring evil wow. Highlander. <laughs> I, I will say one of the primary things that is a real recommendation for the ser- the '90s series, which is just weird, is it is full, chock fucking full of the most random cameos yeah. and guest appearances as as good Highlanders, bad Highlanders, bartenders, like. It has had so many random people in it. It's got Rowdy Riper. It's got Rowdy Roddy Piper in it. Um, apparently, the dude from Fine Young Cannibals. It is. If you <laughs> want to see random cameos, it is a cameo making machine. I was never really into it. It's it's a thing that kind oh, of I in a way it. makes sense as a show. Did you did you yeah, watch a I lot of it? Yeah, I loved it. It was uh, it was USA, right? It was part of the. Shit. the um, it, was, it was on. Wasn't it? It was on Fox late at night when I watched it. But that was like reruns. I don't know. I have well, uh, yeah. no idea what it, it was way, on originally. It is, it is a main precursor to Xena uh, and yeah. to Her- Hercules. Yeah. So if if you if you in, in any way like Xena, um, it's pre- that was really facilitated by the fact that Highlander did okay. In yeah. The TV series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Xena doing okay I is mean, because Highlander did okay. <laughs> Uh, right uh i don't know like i i i don't i actually don't have strong opinions about xena it's just the it's just that i have a really story i heard a story about xena where um go ahead it they were going to make a mad max television show and um the furiosa character like from Fury Road uh-huh. was written a long time ago, sure. and the Mad Max television show was going to be about Furiosa, and like they they were true. about to do it true. and everything, right. and then like somebody said, "No, you can't make a Mad Max TV show," and then it turned into Xena. Yeah, yeah, no, that's completely okay. true. I've read that. I've read that piece of um, trivia <laughs> before. That um, yeah, that uh, that he's had. Um, 
George Miller had that character in his in his pocket. George Miller, yeah, George Miller had that the that character in his pocket forever. Yeah, and no, that's 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 exactly the same story. I heard. yeah, okay. You know what's really funny is I did not set you up with this, but I have a whole grid of comparisons that I created for this episode of the Road Warrior versus Highlander <laughs> for specific reasons because for because for some reason they really the differences between the two really illustrated something to me about the storytelling priorities of the different characters and ultimately my my prejudice thought at the beginning was um, and this comes from my prejudices, prejudices related to George Miller, who was fucking amazing. Director of Babe, Pig in the, C- Pig in the City, and all of the Mad Max films. And Happy Feet. Um, and uh, Happy Feet, yes. The, uh, the, <laughs> cl- the climate activism penguin movie, Happy Feet. So anyway, um, Road Warrior versus Highlander is one way that you can think about how odd Highlander is. Because, yeah. okay, so Road Warrior... <laughs> And Highlander, both star a reluctant hero. Well, that's pretty normal. Yeah. Um, and then Road Warrior, who lost his family to the maniacal gangs created by the Gasoline Wars. Highlander, who lost his lady to his own immortality and the strange system, system that created him. Road Warrior battles against another maniacal gang. Highlander battles against another vicious immortal. Road Warrior just to get through the day and reluctantly save a bunch of L.L. Bean models. Highlander for revenge against his lady's immortal murderer. Road Warrior and when he finally succeeds. Highlander and when he finally succeeds. Road Warrior, he saves the White Hats, allowing them to carry on a good society. Highlander... He saves his new girlfriend and uses his supernatural knowledge to better mankind. And what can we learn, if anything, from how different these views on the job of the hero and the villain are? Well, Road Warrior has a cynically negative view about how the good man, quote-unquote, and his individual plight is not enough in the face of greed and evil, except in the destruction of warlords and tyrants, uh, by which real improvement can be achieved by, quote-unquote, the good man. Over and over, Max Rukatinsky attempts to avoid the affairs <laughs> of others in a form of biographical solipsism until morbidly awful circumstances emerge, and he is forced by his basic decency to battle the great evil in defense of the innocent. Whether it is the great humongous... Um, or Toe Cutter, or Toe Cutter 2.0 in Furiosa, Max um, reluctantly has to save a handful of people because at his core, he's ultimately a good guy, even though he just wants to be left alone to his his sad survival um, vengeance. Uh, whereas the Highlander in McLeod is na- has a naively uplifting viewpoint about how one well-meaning dude with a sword given enough supernatural power, which swap in whatever you like for supernatural power, can conquer the equally armed forces of evil. Things will eventually work out in the end thanks to destiny, swords, and badassedness. Um, Connor is happy to contribute to the system of human society as an art dealer, a capitalist, a literal master of the universe, because ultimately it benefits him directly, despite the fact that this same system alienates him from anyone he's ever known. Uh, and thanks to his own success, um, the, the, uh, the planet 
that understand no one on the planet understands his uh, perspective or his plight. Road Warrior is ultimately a very pessimistic view on a hero's ability to do good. It it over and over again gives Max a very small and finite ability to help anybody and by and the way he does so is he kills the bad guy or forestalls the bad guy or helps to remove the innocent characters from the clutches of the quote-unquote bad guy and in some cases bad lady in terms of the anti-character whereas uh, given given it kind of being his hobby McLeod is able to basically save the world through good intentions thanks to thanks to his superpowers and his really cool sword. So it is there and and in the second case I think that is a way in which Highlander is really a script created by an 18-year-old <laughs> in that it is a very it is a very teenage boy naive um you know uh like end of a video game summation of conquering the bad guy. It is not an eternal bad guy. It's not going to come back later, except in somebody else is going to pay you to write a different script. Yeah. Like, you've really won. You get to wear all white clothes that match your white tennis shoes, and and now you'll get to grow old like a real boy and shoot sperm out of your dick that will make, like, other little kids and teach them how to use little katanas and everything. And... And in that way, it, it, it represents an 18-year-old sense that, like, the dragon can be defeated and you can get the magic potion and bring it back to your clan and everything will be super groovy jazz show. Like, it's all going to be, you know, like uh, noodle, noodle salad and good times. And I think that George Miller was just a more... Uh, one, he was literally older, but George Miller's not that old. George yeah. Miller is just... Ha it is a more mature, adult, full sense of the vastness of greed and evil and the negative forces uh, in, in, in the world and a need to reflect how incredibly small one person is uh, going up against them. And that consistently... Max just barely scrapes by yeah. and only in when he absolutely is totally forced to drags a few other characters out of the worst part of those nightmares with him. I almost cannot believe that you're honestly, I did uh, Gavin, you can tell everybody I did not set you up or plant you into the crowd to bring up no. road warrior. You did that totally. Yeah. On well, I, um, I'm going to bring up road warrior eventually, regardless, like that's, gonna happen <laughs> oh yeah for sure road warrior i will say given the parameters of um quote-unquote monsters in our show yeah road warrior is really like really right there on the border because like the you know i don't want to predestine i don't want you know, i'm not going to preclude us from doing anything but like the the baddies, particularly in Road Warrior, Road Warrior really plays with um, humanity and having your humanity removed and altered yeah. in some of its more like off to the edge characters, like it, and because he's really interested in he's interested in people having physical disabilities. Yeah, he's interested in including little people. He's interested in including. Um, you know, he's got like Blaster, like is like what mental uh, disabilities does Blaster have? Like, and, yeah. I'm not saying and that is Blaster is Max's I'm not, cousin. 
<laughs> huh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, then that's a that's a canon that I'm actually not even that familiar with. Yeah. But the the point the point is that like. Uh, <sighs> Miller doesn't really include monsters, but damn, he goes like right up to the cave yeah, and, the, and like the, yells into the cave, like, "Hey, are there any fucking monsters in here?" You know what I mean? Yeah, the War Boys are described as mutants, right? Like, because yeah. and, and you, I, I can guarantee that the at least at the War Boys, you get really close to and perhaps get to metahumanity. Yeah. Like I, depending on how you look at it. So I feel like (laughs) we're, there is no way you and I are not going to loop the Maxiverse (laughs) into this show. No fucking way. It's not going to, we're just, we're too, we're too eighties balls to the wall to not, we love the, the Max movies too much, but it is (laughs) like, you got to find, you got to find where your entry points in because like, you know, is Humongous just a dude, or like, what's the story? Yeah, here? Humongous uh, might be you know, more than just some guy. I mean, he's got a lot of yeah. mutant um, monster qualities, and yes. and a lot of um, mystery. Well, I will say, um, I think maybe the most obvious entry point, thanks to Furiosa, is Immortan Joe is almost certainly like uh, quasi cyborg because he yeah. has what appears to be. A mechanical immune system to some effect. Yeah. So I mean, but you know, the, what we don't have is more like um, Borderlands, the video g- game style, full on like yeah. M, mutant mutants. You yeah, know what I mean? Mutants. You know, like, you don't have like two headed. You don't have like two headed creature bad guys, or you know, they're not like spitting fire and and like jacking off their six penises or anything. Like yeah. they're they, these are people that are on the edge of humanity in weird augmented ways. Yeah. But in a way, and honestly, they're they weird augmented ways that also they kind of signify and recapitulate the weird ways that we are already experiencing metahumanity and cyborgism in the 21st century. Like, it's not really that far. Like, Furiosa's just got a fucking metal hand. Like, it's, yeah. not, it's not gonzo. It is a, I would say that Mad Max, like Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw, is really, like, it just inside of the bubble, and maybe there's a couple, you know, maybe there's a couple of characters that just barely have their toes outside the bubble. Yeah, and they they will have to be our entry point for including the Maxiverse into the show. But there's no way we're not doing it. The naivety, the naivete of Highlander. Saying like, yeah, thanks to thanks to the quickening of my new like super brain boner, I can a la Adam West, you know, just re re rehumidify the the United Nations and uh, fix the world and improve the world with my great great sword boner. Don't worry, that won't get complicated because there won't be any sequels. No one will ever want to do anything else with yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> won't have to get retconned at all. Yeah. Um, because I already got the uh, prize and every th- every conclusion has been made and there's no way yeah, to absolutely. time travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say if you're a uh, sword and sorcery nerd or specifically a sword nerd, there is um, a northern European gentleman called Scalagrim who yeah. does um, – he's a sword expert and medieval weapons expert. And he, he has one on the – 
Kurgan's um, very absurd sword. The Kurgan has a, uh, since we haven't talked about it, and a lot of you probably have not listened to the, you know, actually watched the movie, he has this absurdly large broadsword that um, in the modern part of when he's in New York, it's like this weird briefcase broadsword that comes in like five pieces and he just like clinks it together in a series of clicks. And it's like, it's great for a movie. It's cool for Hollywood. Why? Because it looks badass. But it is as, you know, Scalagrim, um, and I'll put, I'll link to him in our uh, metadata, as he very clearly lays out, this, the sword is vastly unrealistic. And there's a very particular set of reasons why you don't make a sword out of a whole bunch of different Transformer pieces that have to click together yeah. later on. That It's like a sword is one thing. You know, if you don't know anything about weapons, even the handle and sometimes even part of the pommel is one damn piece of metal, so much so that you, if you fuck it up slightly in that process of making that one perfect piece of metal, you, you don't, it's not a good sword. You're not gonna, it's not gonna last for fucking centuries. So, um, his sword is bullshit. It's badass, but it's bullshit. Cause Hollywood, yeah. you know, but whatever. It's just your, it's your level of give, give a shit versus this is a guy who has his fucking like neck safety pin closed. So yeah. man, how much reality <laughs> do you want? Clancy, uh, Brown in one of the pieces that I watched in preparation for this episode, uh, when asked, um, what is his favorite part about the movie? Uh, Clancy Brown says the soundtrack. Yeah. Which, um, the soundtrack has some great shit. Princess of the Universe is badass. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think that if you didn't have Princess of the Universe as the, like, the, the PR song for the TV show, I don't think that TV show would have existed. It's just like, yeah. that, that, that show is like, swinging a sword to solve problems and dead lightning and then swords and then lightning. That's, that's it's, it's got why I watched the TV show. It came on at midnight, and exactly that was right. At wake the, your ass up! Yeah, that that was yeah. I wanted to wake up and feel awesome, and that song did it. And then eventually, yeah. as I got older, I made sure like, oh, okay, midnight is when I'll get to have my um, teenage cigarette and listen to that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it pumps you up. Like, I, I don't, yeah. like, I've not looked into thoroughly whether um, Freddie Mercury was on cocaine during this whole time. I just assumed that he was, but, like, <laughs> if he wasn't, he just feels like cocaine. That's just, it's just a natural vibe that he's giving out. I don't know. But, like, <laughs> it's just, it, it's just adrenaline and testosterone and, like, yeah, just get him. Fuck! Oh my God! <laughs> Wear a trench coat, stab people. Yes, you know that's that's like I said. The 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 movie is its its strengths are in rock and roll, testosterone, and juxtaposing unlikely but interesting things. Um, <laughs> and that testosterone it, it, it comes a lot of it comes from Queen, and some of the juxtaposition comes from Queen because it it, it sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it leans more toward heavy metal in the in the prize song that's like for Kurt and about Kurgan. Yeah. Um, you know, people they, people describe it, they don't like it because it's too heavy metal. And you're like, that's, that's, I, I, you guys have never heard heavy metal. It's just a slightly <laughs> yeah. heavier Queen song. You know, it's like, it's like when people describe ACDC as heavy metal. I'm like, eh, ACDC yeah. is really kind of like a, <laughs> a heavy, hard rock, blues direction. Yeah. Heavy metal is heavy metal. Heavy metal. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Clancy Brown, um, when asked if uh, what his favorite line as the Kurgan was, uh, he says, here, I'll see if I can do a take of it. I'm sure I'll just cover it over with the actual audio, but I'll see if I can do one. Is, um... Holy ground, I remember what Ramirez taught you. 
and, and, it, and it's not like one of the like like scary intimidating lines by, by the Kurgan but yeah. the reason Clancy liked it is because it's the only part that actually makes the Kurgan more complex yeah in that for one reason or another um, and the the movie does not explain it but for one reason or another the the completely irreverent uh, Kurgan actually is serious about their traditions yeah and, and that follows um, the through line where the only thing he cares about is the game yeah he cares about getting the prize beating the other immortals getting the quickening he is if anything um, kind of fun a fundamentalist immortal. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a total asshole who respects nothing except the the conventions of the system that grant him power and are going to make him the most powerful. The the, the character just really is for lack of a, a better term totally electric. The, you're not looking at anything on screen. I would even say that during the 3 seconds where it is kind of a split diopter shot between half of Clancy Brown in an extreme close up and it's just like his eye and then the <laughs> mostly naked sex worker behind him with her boobs like 90% out. You're still fucking looking at him? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Clancy Brown has stated multiple times that he made absolutely zero, totally zero, goose egg, nothing, nada, and for the role of the Kurgan. Um, it was just a stepping stone for him. It was a low-budget movie. They basically allowed them to make the movie if they did not pay him, so much so that he had to take the train from like where he landed in Glasgow to where to they were going. He thought he was to where they were going. He thought he was going to have to sleep in the train station. And people might ask, like, well, didn't he make residuals on the outside? No, but because it was a it was a BAFTA deal, he's made literally nothing for portraying that character in that movie. So he it it, it enhanced his career a lot. You know, it probably got him Pet Cemetery. It probably you know turned him into oh, somebody who was going the direction that he was going. <laughs> but um, you know, if you if you did not have any awareness that Hollywood is just a rigged system in most cases, it you know you can be. You can have you can have that many scenes in that movie. Have to go to multiple different countries. How to learn learn how to sword fight from a professional um, Olympic like sword fighter Bob Anderson. You know you can almost get chopped up doing sword fighting with Sean with with, with Sean Connery on set and still uh, get paid absolutely fucking nothing because that's that's how cool Hollywood is. But anyway, um, I don't know. Is anything else jumping into your mind? Because I think I've covered all of my crucial points. <laughs> mm-hmm. From Starship Troopers. Yeah, it's another great Clancy Brown one. Just uh, um, first in general, Drill Sergeant I really Zim like. I, rec if, I recommend Troopers. watching Clancy Brown stuff. He's great. Um, yeah. He's uh, he's. He's complex. He's not just a big guy with a deep voice. You know, the, the, being a big guy with a deep yeah. voice can be that can be interesting, but he's subtle. Um, he uses his physicality uh, against type. Yeah. Uh, he can be an obvious character, like a villain or a drill sergeant, but he can do much more subtle things. He can do TV. He can do animation, voiceover. Yeah. He can do a lot. He's a cool guy. Seems like seems like a nice dude. Um, so. Um, yeah, I'm double thumbs up pro, pro uh, Clancy Brown. Seems like a really classy guy, and I, I and he's just like well, he, he's somebody on screen. Unlike you know certain character actors who you're just like, oh, it's that guy. Like <laughs> I, I definitely I've known exactly who Clancy Brown is. Whenever I see him, I'm like, I can't. I, it doesn't matter whether he's in 
punk rock makeup with a sword. I'm looking at him if he's on screen. He's just, I don't know, it's the same yeah. way Steve Martin or Bill Murray or somebody, you know, uh, is just like, I can't, I'm so strongly anticipating what they're going to do next. I can't stop watching them. Like um, Sigourney Weaver or Tom Noonan or somebody. There are just certain actors that are so fucking impossible to not just watch every minute little bit of business that their face is doing, the modulation of their voice. I just like can't look away. And Clancy Brown may not as be as big as a, as a Bill Murray, but um, he's just fucking phenomenal. He's just really good. Yeah. I've only recently seen John dies at the end. That's come up for me twice in two days. People have mentioned, I I still haven't seen it. Yeah. I I thought they were going to, I don't know what's, I don't know. I don't really. Oh, well you think that they're going to set him up to be like a douchebag kind of tracery antagonist, but he's not. And like, he's a good guy and he, and his character's awesome and you'll enjoy it. Just in general (laughs) voiceover people, they're sneaky and like how much shit that they're in and you don't, you don't know it. He's in the invincible show. Cool. Also. Um, Shawshank Redemption. That should be a fairly obvious one as the captain. Um, he's one of the, he's one of the backup (laughs) dudes at Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai with a friend of the show, Peter Weller. Yeah. Oh yeah! Yep. yep. Holy that's crap! A, that's a How very did I not mention that immediately? Yep. He's, um, yeah. Dead man walking. <laughs> Pet Cemetery Two. Uh, Flubber. Starship Troopers. <laughs> that line that he put in there. Okay, this is totally hilarious. Kevin, the archaeologist, who we are having as a guest in a as yet published. Um, special edition Monster Mash episodes um, from his show Pixel It that he does with my friend Phil. Uh, he, because he has access to our Discord, he must have seen us on and heard us ranting about the Kurgan, and he drops in this um, meme gif um, from the Kurgan at the church, which is maybe the best Kurgan um, scene, even though it's got literally zero violence in it. And when the Kurgan finally is leaving the church, he stands up and he says, I've got something to say. And he spins around and he goes, it's better to burn out and to fade away. And then he like pumps his fist, heavy metal style, and just fucking like curtsies out. And that line is originally from two things. It's from um, a Neil Young song and also like a Megadeth or a Motley Crue song. Something that's heavier. But it really, it's famous for being a Neil Young song. But the other thing it's famous for being in is Kurt Cobain's suicide note. Um... Which is just, uh, yeah. like, I don't necessarily have some kind of, like, distilled genius take on that. Because, obviously, Cobain's suicide note is way after. I mean, it's that's it's about ten years after this movie. So it's very possible it was in Cobain's um, mental Rolodex, you know? I don't know. Like, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Cobain was really... He was a, he yeah. was a real... <laughs> audiophile. He was obsessed with music. It's why he was, you know, wearing a Daniel Johnson like shirt, you know, like he's, he's a music nerd. That's how he gets to where he was. He was really a music maniac. So I would assume it's the Neil Young reference, but, um, it's just a, it's just another weird loop into what, uh, another way that the Kurgan is in a way. So rock and roll, he's, he's, he's quoting, he's quoting rock and roll lyrics. And, um, he, he's, he said the same thing that Kurt Cobain put in his note before blowing his fucking head off. And now for a segment we are calling 
Describing Benicio, where we talk about a particular photo of actor, Heineken enthusiast, and your legal counsel, Benicio Del Toro. Um, how would you des- how do you describe the look that he's giving? Um, I think that's uh, a, a slightly peeved nod of approval. I don't. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, he's definitely interested in what he's looking at. Like he's about to say something or acknowledge it. Um, that's really what's going on. What what Fantasyland would be going on? Like <laughs> the crazy uh-huh. Gavin idea of it would be probably he wants to know what kind of animal uh, and and who um, shaved this animal and who put it on <laughs> yeah. his head. Yeah, I was actually my the comment that I what I was thinking was like, God, I wish I could just I could go to a fucking Hollywood premiere with bedhead. And look this, look this yeah. legitimate. <laughs> like, he seriously looks like he woke up like an hour ago and, I don't know, sat for half an hour at the hotel bar and had like just a, a tonic and a sl- and like a side of bacon yeah. and was like, Let's, what am I doing today? I don't know. Fuck it. Oh, that's a Van that Dyke. That is a Van Dyke. That, that, um... That is a Van Dyke, but it's he's also like not shaving the whole business. He looks like he hasn't shaved in like ha- like three days at least. Yeah, here is my face. I I have I have plans, and I'm not aware of. Yeah, he's really <laughs> like I can see why he's played the Wolfman before, and yeah, I don't know. I wonder how long it's going to be until he's got a lot of gray hair, because he's he's getting older, yeah. but. I'm I'm curious what I, that's I guess that's my question is what kind of roles is he going to be doing in like ten years when he's not playing like weird Mexican CIA operatives and instead he's playing like I don't even yeah. I have no I have no fucking clue. Um, cool. Scottish. Uh, yeah, yeah, spa- yeah, Spanish, 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 Spanish Egyptian, Egyptian mentors. mentors is definitely <laughs> yeah, that makes it makes more fucking sense than, than Sean Connery. Uh, t- I'll tell you that. Yeah, Jr. <laughs> Mr. Carter. He's his his hair looks fake, but then again, it doesn't. I it don't looks know how to so it. it looks so good. It his looks like a wig. Like... That's why it's that's why it's frustrating. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a very fantastic thing to have at at any age. Really, is great hair so great that yes. it looks fake? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent head of hair on this beneath. As your legal counsel, I recommend you take all of those pills. Oh no, this is back country. Yes. Like, I can't. Take I lost my. I lost. I lost my Sean. Country. I lost my Sean Connor. I used to be able. Gee, Mister Connor. Epstein. Epstein's unable to take today's test. His brain hurts. Shined Epstein's mother. That's the only way I can get into Epstein's it. Mother. Is the is the Epstein's mother bit? <laughs> His, let your armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. And the birds. I used to be good. Suddenly, I remembered my Charlemagne. Suddenly, I remembered my Charlemagne. Suddenly, I remembered my Katar. Let your armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds. Let in your the sky. armies be your big flappy hat and your massive sword. <laughs> French son of a bitch. What happened to 11 o'clock? 
Look what you did. I can't what believe about what the, you did. What about the kilch? We're not taking the kilch? <laughs> We're not taking the kilch? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what country. I was trying to land on. <laughs> This is bad country. One toke over the line. You want to know what I'm going to tell God? I'm going to tell him I was Who afraid. said anything about slicing you up, man? The way of the I just God. wanted to carve a little G on your forehead. <laughs> All right. We did enough of the Kurgans that I think we can cut Benicio and short. And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until next time when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bullywugs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. And if you'd be so kind as to tell a friend or support us by throwing Oops All Monsters, a five-star review on iTunes, that really does help. Share, please share an episode on your favorite social media, even though social media is, media is evil. I don't care. Do it anyway. We got to do it. Hit that Instagram of ours up because um, we will be sharing images that we're referencing as we're making the show. So it really enhances the show if you watch those. So please do check them out. And comment on Instagrams with comment on Instagram with the monsters that you would want uh, to see and have us uh, cover and all of that. And email your suggestions for what monsters those are and the most ridiculous gaming stories and all the RPG things that you do to oopsallmonsters at gmail.com. Oops, all monsters. And if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, hit us up with a one-shot contribution at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Or if you're more into that signing up for regular thing, you can totally get us at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters. Lastly, now thank Kate. I have to thank my wonderful friend Kate for our incredible theme song. Her work as part of the duo The Darling yeah, The Darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at The Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And I have been Gavin. And we have been Oops All Oops All Monsters. monsters. Okay, close <laughs> the fucking thing. Excellent. And as promised, here are the Proto-Men with Princes of the Universe.
If he wins the prize, mortal man would suffer an eternity of darkness. <laughs> 